Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. Today, instead of talking about a game we just finished playing, we're going to be finishing up our SedonaCon coverage that we started on last week's episode. Last week, we covered seven games that we played in our first two days at SedonaCon. Today, we're going to cover another eight or nine or so uh, that wrapped up our weekend. So before we jump into SedonaCon coverage, though, I do have some poll results to discuss every week on our Facebook group or on Twitter. I ask a poll question and we talk about the results on the show here. This week, I asked the question, have you considered getting a board game related tattoo? The options that I gave, no, not game related. And we got 16.7% responded with that. No tattoos at all for me. 51.8% responded with that. Yes, and I've done it. 2.9% have board game related tattoos. And yes, I've considered was 28.6%. So a pretty decent amount of tattoo wearers are open to getting a board game related tattoo. How do you guys answer this question? I have not considered getting any board game related tattoo or any tattoos at all. I don't know what I want on my skin permanently, especially when it comes to board games. I was like, this is ridiculous. Who would ever do? But then I was reading some of the responses and there's some a couple of good responses out there. I was like, oh yeah, well that makes sense in that case to get a... Uh, a board game tattoo. And actually that's kind of cool. I would like to see that. So hopefully Tim, when you, you get there, you'll read a couple of those responses. They were interesting. So, you know, normally for these, I have, you know, I feel like some commentary to give on it, but this one was just too easy. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I've it's never occurred to me to get a board game tattoo. Although thinking about it, I, I, I guess I will give some commentary. I don't think it's necessarily a crazy idea. And honestly, Adam, I used to think the same way that you do. Like, what do I want on my skin permanently? And like, I do have a tattoo and it's related to being a musician. And I'm not that much of a musician anymore, but I still value that because it reminds me of a period in my life. So I could see someone saying, you know, the thing I'm passionate about is board games. And so I'm going to get a board game related tattoo just so long as they're also able to say, and I may not be a gamer forever, or I may not like that game or whatever forever, but I'm okay with having recorded on my body permanently the record of that period of my life. I think going back, if I can rewind a second, mild spoilers coming up here, but I wouldn't mind getting the results of SedonaCon 2023 tattooed somewhere on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you asked the question, so... What about you? Have you ever gotten any kind of uh, board game related tattoo? Now I need, now I'm curious. Or any kind of tattoo, Tim. Before I answer that, Chris, I didn't even know you had a tattoo. Where is your music related tattoo and what is it of, if you if you don't mind? On my left shoulder, I have a bass clef because I'm a bass player. Cool. I think you, yeah, you might have shown that to me before. We talked about it a long time ago, but I, there it is. He just showed it to us. Nice. I did not recall that. And so I was actually kind of surprised. I did not think Chris was a tattoo type of guy. Um, I currently do not have any tattoos, just, you know, straight up. But I actually have considered getting a board game related tattoo, which, you know, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem that weird to me because the reality is that board games right now is one of my favorite ways to spend my time. It's, it's a hobby that I love. It's a thing I think about a lot. And I guess... This may be more of a fringe, but when I considered getting one, it was when I was really into Magic the Gathering. And I have to admit, I was dating a girl at the time who liked tattoos, and she was trying to convince me to get a tattoo. And what was I going to get at that time? And the mana symbols for Magic the Gathering are cool symbols. And I thought about getting each of those five mana symbols down my spine. I thought that would look really cool. And I'm not sure that I would regret it, to be honest. Even though I don't really play Magic anymore, I think they're 
they're they're pretty neat symbols and they represent what to me was pretty awesome for a while. Now, on the other hand, at some point in my life, if, if somebody were to see that, they, I might be embarrassed by that. But luckily, I met my wife, you know, kind of at the end of my Magic the Gathering days. I think she would have not been weirded out by it. She plays games with me. She'd, be, she'd understand. So I'm, I'm not sure it would ever matter. Why didn't I ever get a tattoo? I don't know. And it's funny because my wife recently got her first tattoo. And now it's made me think again, like, yeah, I mean, we're getting older. Like, what's the diff? Why not kind of, you know, enjoy putting something on our bodies that that matters a lot to us and that's going to, you know, that, that we can bring with us into the future and kind of tell a personal story. If you're willing to share, what was her tattoo? Yeah. So her, her dog, uh, who was 17 years old, and he was a very big part of her life, even before I met her, he passed away recently. And so she just get a, got a little paw print on her wrist to, as a reminder of, of her dog, Ernie. And so, you know, that was really important to her. It's something she thought about for years well before he passed away. I think it's great. It gives her some, some like a daily reminder of something that was really important to her in her life. Hey, Tim, you never said what kind of board game tattoo you might get. Would it be something related to a specific game or something general like a pair of dice or what, what would you do? I did say I said that if, if I when I was going to get one, it was talking about Magic the Gathering. Oh, I thought you meant you were thinking now you might get one. You'd still think about the Magic the Gathering? No, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not really actively thinking about getting a tattoo at this point, but what else would I get at this point? You know, like what else would I get? You know, it's, it's kind of my main hobby. Um but no, I, I don't have a plan for a board game related tattoo. But I was still, I thought it was uh, an interesting idea and I'd love to see it. I'd love to see other people having, you know, like taking the passion for this hobby uh, to that level. Um, so anyway, I did ask this question and we got some pretty interesting responses and even a couple pictures. So if you haven't checked them out, go check out this question on our Twitter feed as well as our Facebook group feed. And you'll see a couple different people that posted pictures of their actual board game related tattoos. Here's what some of our listeners said. Aaron from the Boards Alive podcast said, I'm too cheap for tattoos. If I had them, then I would have fewer board games. That's a good, <laughs> good, reason. good reason not to get them. Never Say Die, who's Chris, one of, our, uh, one of our regular listeners and somebody I've actually played games with before, has some really cool tattoos. So he, he's clearly not opposed to tattoos. And he said, if I did, I wouldn't want just a simple meatball. It would have to tell a story about gaming in my life, conceptually as well as aesthetically. Tattoos tell stories. I'm just not sure what story I'd want to tell with this one just yet. So it sounds like Chris is thinking about it. He's considering it. I'm looking forward to seeing Chris's his uh, future board game related tattoo. Thoughtful answer. Yeah. Dinger Plays Game said, I can hardly choose what to play on a game night, let alone what to put on my body permanently. <laughs> and Tom Daining said, Tattoo, I just got my first board game related t-shirt. Slow your roll there, BGHT. <laughs> So Thomas Morin, he said, yes, I am planning on getting a collage of all my favorite content creator logos on my right arm. Dice Tower, BGHT, Foster the Meatball, John Gets Games, etc. Now, okay, I'm sure that Thomas is joking here, but okay, if Thomas, if you get a board game hot takes logo tattoo, I will 100% make that our profile image for at least two months. So I want to I want to see that if you get it done, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> also, we don't deserve it. Joe Allen said, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. Whoa, mm. nice. Mm. So a few game designers actually posted on this question, and many of them talked about wanting to get to tattoos of their their board game designs. And, and, and then also a couple of our listeners posted pics of their tattoos. And my favorite one of those pics was Stefan Gustwicki over on our Facebook group. And he's a regular poster there. He said, I've got my family of meeples. And so he showed a picture of his arm and it is like 
two, you know, two big meeples that kind of represent the parents and then some smaller meeples of different colors. So he said, I've got my family of meeples, then a son, blue. I left room for one more. So of course we had twins. And so he shows a picture where it's, it's him and his wife's meeples and then a small blue one and then a small red one. And then he had to stack a black one on top because he ran out of arm room <laughs> because of the twins that came in there. So that was awesome. And then he's got the, the word Rodzina tattooed above those. And he said, it, that means family in Polish. So that was a really cool picture, but also a hilarious story that you left just enough room for that one kid. Nice. And then I love it. Anyway, who knows? If, if we ever do get any board game related tattoos, we promise to share them with you guys on social media. So follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. All right. Well, let's jump into our continuation of our SedonaCon coverage, which was a wonderful weekend that we all spent. If you missed last week, um, we all spent in Sedona for about five days, went up there just to game. And it was Adam, Chris and I, as well as uh, Steve, who's a regular contributor to the show, but also plays games with us every week. We all flew together into Phoenix, drove up to Sedona, and got to some gaming. So if you missed last week's episode, stop, go check that out first, catch up to where we got, what the scores were like, what games we played. But we're going to jump into Saturday morning. So this was the third day we were there, and uh, everyone just got up. Steve got up earlier because Steve was nice enough. This is a three-bedroom house we're staying in. It's four of us. And Steve offered to sleep on the couch out in the living room, which is great, except he had the sunlight shining in his face at 6 a.m. every morning. So I think Steve was up like two hours before us every day. And Saturday morning, he had the game set up and, and ready to go. Yeah, so we woke up. I shook off the day before of heavy games. As a quick recap, I think we played three games over the span of 15 hours. It was four. Okay. That was way off. (laughs) It was four. (laughs) So I was ready to get into something fun. What a way to start the day. Wonderland's War, one of the funnest games out there. And I completely agree with that sentiment. Once again, after playing this one, it was a blast. I was the, I think the queen of hearts. I don't know if that's her name, but the queen, the evil queen off with her heads, that lady. I've played Wonderland's War, I don't know, maybe four or five times. And I've been the queen like four of those, four or five of those times, however many times. And it's such a fun game. Building your bag. This play was notable, I thought, because we played with the D set of special powers. And this one was a lot more bad shard heavy. So that stung me a few times. I Early, I got in trouble with all these bad shards in my bag. And I kept getting the extra shard for having the most shard. I'm saying shard way too much. But I had the bad chips in my bag. <laughs> the madness chips. You, you got the madness chips for having too many shards. Yes, that's what happened. So I had uh, a lot of these madness chips, and that came back and stung me a little bit during this game. So that D set was interesting, and trying to manage those and figure out ways around that I thought was interesting and maybe a little bit frustrating for me. But overall, had tons of fun playing Wonderland's War. Shard, 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 shard. <laughs> no, this, is ga- this game is so wonderful wonderful wonderland i love this game it's amazing to me how fun this game has been and it it has not yet gotten old i mean every game we've played it's one of those games that it's noisy you got people standing up around the table they're hooting and hollering when they pull a token out of the bag a chip or somebody else pulls a token out of a chip and then maybe they win a bet because they bet on that person just wacky things happen it's so much fun Such an absolute blast. One anecdote I'll tell about this game, because I feel like we've already talked about this game so much, but I will share this one anecdote. And it's a perfect example of the kind of fun craziness that can happen when you play Wonderland's War. 
there was one big battle and it was a very, it was a, it was an important battle. And I forget who was it. Was it you two or was Steve involved in this? Who, who are the, the fighters in this one besides me? Do you guys remember? This is why we normally do hot takes and record right after talking about the game. So there, <laughs> big, big battle. And it was a, it was a huge one. The, the behemoths were, were fighting in this one. And I was the little guy in the battle and the behemoths started rolling down the track in like two roll, two pulls in two chips. I was like, you know what? There's no way I'm winning this. I'm just going to stop because I think I got some benefit for landing on a certain spot on the track. And so it was going to get, it was going to let me fulfill a goal. It was going to let me fulfill a mission. And so they're like plowing ahead. They're like down toward the end where, you know, you, you, you max out on the battle points and everybody busted. And that left me down at like three on the battle power track, winning the <laughs> battle. It was clearly a battle that, you know, let me win. I was the ultimate winner of this game. And this was, if I hadn't won this battle, I would not have won the game. And so it was totally unexpected and so much fun, at least for me. And even if you don't like the outcome of that battle, like, you know, I, I probably the only one who did like the outcome of that battle. It's just the kind of fun, unexpected things that can happen in this game and turn the tide. And I just are a, a blast. Yeah. So, so much, this game was so much fun. And I, man, I think I did tear. I remember like the first round of the game, I just lost everything. It was just one of those games where, and this game has, it's push your luck and there is luck in it. And I just pulled madness chips out of my bag, like every single battle, every single pull that I had. And so I did terrible in the first round and I didn't even care. The game was a blast. I, I did finally have a chance at some big battles like that. The one Chris was talking about. Um, I felt like I even had the possibility of maybe, you know, getting up in second or third place by the end of the game. If I'd had some luck in the last round, but it didn't even matter. It was just fun doing that draft in the tea party phase and then going into those battles and pulling your chips out of a bag. This game is just, it's dopamine, the board game, and I love it and uh, had a great time with this play as well. So for Wonderland's War, I came in first, Adam was number two, Steve came in third, and Tim sadly came in last place. But that teed us up for the next game of the day, which was Pan Am. This game is one I haven't played in forever, maybe since we reviewed it on the show and Chris had to run out and we didn't even get like a full four-player experience, and I've been dying to play Pan Am ever since then. And Chris, I'm gonna let you talk about this a little bit more because you had it all set up. You had your thematic show going for us. Yeah, the music for the different eras of Pan Am. You had drinks to go with it. We had our pilot suits on our and then we had our flight attendant suits. No, no, we didn't go that far. But the theme was there. Chris set the tone for this game and I had so much fun going back to this play of Pan Am. I love how Pan Am would expand and there's these fight for the different routes and is Pan Am going to go to South America, which is a little bit uncanny for them to do that, or are they going to go over towards the Pacific and cross that way? Some of these die rolls were exciting at the end when Pan Am does his expansion thing. If you get the Pan Am symbol on there, we would all cheer. Yes, we get to sell our routes or maybe nobody was set up to sell a route. So that was like a kind of a, a loss for that person. I thought Chris was going to absolutely run away with this one. But then Tim and I caught up a little bit during the, the middle phase of this game. Pan Am stock stayed really cheap, which was uncharacteristic. And that was something new in this game. So Tim and I were in a good position after a couple of these Pan Am buy-ups 
to buy a lot of stock quickly and bring Chris back in after he had all kinds of stock early on. So that was a fun kind of different aspect of this particular game for me. Now, I know you guys both have the physical copy of this game and I have not. So this was my first play of it and I loved it. Cool colored plastic airplanes of different sizes and shapes. You do have these little thin cardstock player boards, but it doesn't matter. The, the, the game board's great. The, the little plastic components are great. The cards that you're picking up have great graphic design on it. This game, for what is a cheap kind of midweight game, is a great production and super fun to see on the table. And I had a blast with it. It was so much fun. Again, I, like, like Adam said, I will let Chris talk about the experience because this was the experience that Chris, this was like the game that we had an experience built around on this weekend. And it was, we, we picked a very specific time of the weekend to do it. And it was wonderful. And I'm sure that escalated the experience for me. But this is the one game that I didn't bring that I am going to be buying or that I have actually bought. I just just been waiting for it to get delivered to me from Amazon. Um, fantastic game, 25 bucks on Amazon. And if you have not played this game, you need to go check it out. It's super fun. One thing that uh, Adam mentioned was about the stock prices. And in this game, they stayed low. We, I think we had like $3 stock for the first three rounds. Max, it got to like five or six. And in most games, I feel like it gets up to like eight, nine, 10. And so our ending stock shares here, I think we were at like, 19 25 25 and 27 or something like that and in previous games i've only played this a couple times before but we'd end up at like 12 13 15 shares yeah and so that was pretty cool to actually have an opportunity to uh to to pick up more but i think the one flaw that the game has is that it does feel like basically you have money at the end of a round you buy up stock as soon as you can and so everyone stays pretty close except maybe an event helps somebody or maybe get someone gets a good turn and makes some good choices. So like from a strategic competition of a, of a game, I don't feel like the game really gives you that much opportunity to make crazy choices, but the choices are fun and it's fun to play the game and it's fun for those die roll events. And I just, I really have, I've always had a good time playing with it. We, I haven't played it since we recorded our original episode zero episode. So if you want to go back and listen to our very early thoughts on Pan Am and the last time I got a chance to play this game, this was two and a half years ago on the first wow. episode we recorded for the for the podcast. And it was so fun to, to revisit and one of my favorite games of the weekend. I'm so glad we played it again. I'm so glad we played it in person and I can't wait to get my copy and get this played whenever I can. And it's super easy to teach, super fun to play. It's worker placement with a little bit of a bidding mechanism is in it, which just slightly gives a variation to normal worker placement. And it's just fun. It's just a fun game to play. And I, I really had fun with this one. And if you do go back and listen to that first episode, just try not to judge us too harshly on it. We, we, we were so young back then. No, this game is great. I love it. It's a game I haven't played for a long time either, but I so missed playing it. And it's one that packs a lot of theme and feels into a pretty small, inexpensive package. And I think that really is a blast. So I was hoping to capitalize on that this weekend by making a full experience out of it, because I think that this game really lends itself to the full experience. And so what I did was I researched some actual cocktails that had been on the Pan Am drink list over the years. And so we had a couple of cocktails that were themed to the, the actual menu. We had uh, music, which I curated a playlist where for each decade, and 
for those who haven't played the game, each round you flip a card and it's a new decade and it's basically what's happening in the world and how that affects. So, for example, at the end of World War II, there is a glut of inexpensive airplanes being repurposed for military use. And so you might be able to buy cheap planes, but it really pulls in the history and the era as part of the gameplay. And so I made a playlist. So it was fun for me hearing how we went from going to the twenties and ragtime all the way up to the sixties and listening to the Beatles. And between that and the drinks, I'm glad everybody had a really nice time because I was hoping to do something fun for everyone. And I, I find the history of this fascinating. So yeah, I I hope everybody enjoyed it. Our, our uh, listener, Kylef, who uh, commented on Twitter with a great idea. And that was instead of the crappy first player cardboard chip that's on there, he said, why don't you go on eBay and get a pair of like pilot wings from back in the day and use that as the first player token which is an absolutely brilliant idea. The first thing I did when I read that was to go on eBay and look at what was out there. Unfortunately, that stuff's crazy expensive because it's, it's very collectible. <laughs> I did see one. I almost pulled the trigger, but then I just couldn't quite get myself to do it. And that was an actual metal pilot's cap medallion from a Pan Am pilot, but it was like $300. I'm like, I'm okay with spending money on a board game upgrade, but boy, that one's a little bit crazy. So I'm going to go back and look again, see if maybe I can find a, a pair of plastic junior pilot wings or something like that. <laughs> Cause it's a brilliant idea. I just, I just don't want to spend a fortune on it. Chris is not lying about the thematic tie in with the music here. And it was so fun. As he mentioned, like most of these event cards bring up a different decade, but not all of them. So you might have a couple that are in the forties and then one in the fifties, et cetera, but it was great. It was such a great progression and it was such a nice, pleasant surprise. Like I knew he was going to have themed music, but I figured I'll be like fifties era music, but it was so awesome to watch it start in the twenties and just progress in every round. The other thing though, about these cocktails, Chris is a great mixologist and this was some, some of the most fun, flavorful drinking that we did that weekend. And had a blast with it. It just tied in. And I also have to tell another story about Steve here because in the first round of the game, I was first player and I bid seven on the, I think it's the airport um, space, which is basically where you can buy an airport and build it out on the thing. And I did that knowing that somebody was going to try to outbid me because in the first round, that airport seems really valuable. So Steve goes all in and bids the highest amount he can at nine and gets that airport. And then immediately after he builds it, Chris starts like building routes all around his airport. And Steve was getting so flustered by that. He blew all of his early money and, and, uh, and then Chris was like buying up the routes around him. But repeatedly, Steve would just be like, I, I hate this game, Chris. I can't believe you did this thing. You just ruined my whole day. But also Chris, you made this a really nice experience. It's like my favorite experience, but I hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a fun game experience or not, this is one worth playing. Definitely worth picking up a copy if it sounds interesting to you. In our game, Tim came out the winner. Adam was number two. I came in number third, even though I thought I was off to a really good start, but uh, ended up with a, a third. And then Steve ended up in fourth place. And at that point, it was getting it was getting later in the day and we'd had a few drinks. So we figured, why not jump into something really big and heavy? <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> we started kicking it with Endless Winter Paleo-Americans. <laughs> so Endless Winter, this is one I hadn't played. You guys reviewed it on the show. I think I had some family crisis going on that night, so I had to bail on you guys. And I don't know, the game itself was 
was mediocre. I wasn't too high on it. I liked um, the little bit of the area control, putting these little tents out or whatever they were and setting up your campsite and kind of getting the region bonuses for that at the end of every round. But the decisions didn't do much for me as far as where to put your worker and your grande worker, your big worker out there. And the marketplace, it was okay. The deck building was okay. So this gets kind of lumped into uh, the Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak. There's kind of three of these games that were released at the same time where it's deck building, worker placement. And I still have to favor Dune Imperium of those three. But playing this game with you guys, again, we could put any game out there and it's going to be a blast. And I had an absolute blast playing this one mostly because of Chris's character. <laughs> well, we'll get to Chris's character in just a second. But I, so I, I have to say I was expecting Adam's re- re- reaction to this because the night that we went to play it, you know, we were ta- kind of chatting about it when we reviewed this, the, the night that we reviewed this several months back, we were chatting about it and we all were learning the rules and stuff. And I remember Adam texting going like, wow, this is a big blend of mechanisms. And he was clearly not too enthusiastic about it. And then like 10 minutes before we were about to start our review, Adam texts and goes, guys, sorry, I can't make it tonight. And I'm 50% sure that it was a family <laughs> crisis and maybe 50%. I think it's I think it's half and half that it was just Adam not interested in playing this game that night. So mm. doesn't surprise me that you're not too excited about mm. it. Adam's to midweight euros like Chris is to trick takers at this point. Like it seems like midweight euros is just not Adam's thing unless there's like heavy player interaction and and you just like there's some unique ones like right barrage or gaia project which we'll talk about but it it does feel like this is exactly outside of adam's excitement realm like enjoys you know he plays it does fine with it doesn't love it so i'm not surprised you didn't like it now when we reviewed this i was pleasantly surprised by it i thought it was a lot more fun than i expected it to be with all this mix of mechanisms and everything and on a second play i would say it was still fun, but it did not blow me away. And I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a decent play. Funny thing is, is that after we reviewed this, Chris and I were so enthusiastic about it. I said, Hey, let's make this the number one prize for, for, you know, winning uh, Sedona con. And so I bought a copy of it and that's, this was my pick that day because I really wanted to make sure we got a chance to play this. Adam got a chance to play it and we got to revisit it. But then we also ended up picking up a second place prize game as well. So this was one of the games that we were playing for and I did have fun with it. I will gladly go back to it, but I don't know that this is going to be a long-term keeper in my collection. Um, Spoiler, I ended up taking this game home. We'll get to that at the end of the episode, but I have this in my collection now and I just do have other games that are similar enough that I think I'd rather play more. So I liked Endless Winter again on a second play. I'm excited to go back and play it a few more times. I do know that there were several like modules that that you could buy in the Kickstarter and now they're sold separately that apparently add some interesting stuff to the game. So I'm kind of tempted to pick up a couple of these like modular expansions and, and add some of those in because this game needs more it, it needs more mechanisms, right? So <laughs> there wasn't enough going on there already. <laughs> see if that if that you know fleshes things out. But I like this play. I had a lot of fun with it. Um I think the, you know, the mini goals and those stones you're getting, the engine building's fun, played a different strategy this game than last time. So just to kind of add on to our last, you know, to, to our, if you listen to our review and our enthusiasm about it, it was still fun. It still did some fun and unique things for me and I, I still enjoyed it, but, but, you know, probably just, I don't know that this is going to be, you know, like a permanent mainstay in the pantheon of, 
of midway euros. My reaction to a second play of Endless Winter Paleo Americans was eerily similar to Tim's. The first game we played, I really, really enjoyed it. And I felt like I had a really cohesive strategy. And I think I pulled off a win on that one. This time, it felt more aimless. And maybe by that, what I really mean is I felt more aimless. And we just kind of floundering around amongst all the different things that you can do. And it didn't feel as tight and crisp to me as it did the first time. Now, I've had plenty of games where I had certain feelings on play one and then feelings on play two. And this one, you know, I'm sort of, if you take it and go right down the middle, you know, I'm, I, it's fairly neutral. So I'm guessing what that means is probably in the long term, after a couple more plays, I'd have a much better idea of my long term feelings of this game. And I generally tend to break positive, I think when I start with a game that I have some mixed feelings about, but but tend to like it, like I did this game on the first play. So I am actually interested to play this one again. Uh, you know, Based on what Tim said, I'm doubting it's going to be the thing that gets pulled out first when we have our in-person game nights, but but who knows? We'll, uh, we'll find a time to play it again, hopefully. I do want to try it again and see if I can put together another strategy and feel a little bit less aimless about it because you know, it always it always feels more fun when you feel like you've got a path to, to victory. Now, the really fun part of this game was that it introduced me to my alter ego, Thunderpaw. <laughs> and Thunderpaw is great because Thunderpaw doesn't care. Thunderpaw, it can say the things that I can't say and so for the rest of the weekend, whenever I had something that needed to be said, or I felt needed to be said, but was just too chicken to say it myself, Thunderpaw could say it for me. So maybe we'll meet Thunderpaw somewhere later <laughs> in the episode. So Endless Winter, Tim came in a solid first. If I remember right, it was a pretty dominant first, I think. Slightly ahead of Steve, but I needed that second first because I was falling pretty far behind from the previous day. So I think this kind of got me back up up in the top echelons of this weekend. Ah, okay. So Steve came in, yeah, like, like you just said, Steve came in second, Adam came in third, and I came in a decisive last, but ultimately, Thunderpaw cares only for victory. <laughs> Thunderpaw loves Gaia Project. I think we played that next. That's right, Thunderpaw. We did play Gaia Project next. This was my pick. I told Chris later on the side, this was totally just a point grab for me. I think I was falling behind in the standings at this point. I wanted a game I had a little bit of confidence in. And if we're going to pull out a game that has a bunch of crap all over the table, kind of like Endless Winter, I want it to be good. So that's why I picked Gaia Project. So we got that all set up. This has a familiar feel to it. We, I think we drafted factions or we just picked one and passed, picked one and passed, something like that. And then the player order, I don't know how we did. we did it some sort of reasonably fair way. But I was the the Nebulas, the white faction, and we got that going. And man, I was doing some heavy thinking with this one. My faction was one that really focused on how to manage the little purple power cubes and charging them up because they're worth double. And then when you put out one of your research station, whatever they're called, that allows you to rotate more. And that so it was just an, a little mini game in managing the purple cubes which probably took forever and i'm sorry you guys i apologize i was trying so hard the game 
And I know I probably took way longer than anybody was happy with. <laughs> I think what we did in this one is we picked one more than the number of players as factions, and then we reverse player order drafted them or something like that. So it was fun. Like that, I like doing. I, the game doesn't even tell you to do that in the rules. I think the basic rules are just like everybody picks a, a faction, and I just like when there's a limited restriction. And it kind of forces people to have to try new, new characters or new, you know, new unique player powers. And so that was fun to do. And as we were going around in reverse player order and picking factions, it was fun to watch these guys kind of think about the decisions. Chris and Adam are both very regular players. The guy who project does as am I. Steve is not. He's not. He's only played a few times in the past. And so, you know, he, his decision point there was a lot less directed. But it was fun for us to kind of be making those, those choices. Now, Adam played this white character that is an interesting one to play. It's, it seems very powerful, but also it's a little tricky. And I think I'm a, I'm a little salty about the fact that he pulled out the win on this because I think Steve gave him a lot of power because, you know, Steve is not as experienced with the game and he was playing a lot of buildings next to Adam's buildings and moving all those power things over there. So Adam did pull out the win just to spoil that a little bit, but it was it was a close competitive game. I had a lot of fun with it. I played the Terrans, which is not even a particularly powerful game, but the way the map layout was with a lot of those... Um, those little purple planets all over the place just seemed like a great fit. And I did, I had a great time with it. I had a lot of fun with it when it finally got back around to my turn after Adam took 15 minutes, figured out his power conversion and what he was going to do with this turn. Yeah. But no, I loved it. I was I, getting annoyed it, with myself. You guys, sorry. <laughs> it was one of those, it was one of the long games for the weekend that just, it seemed like people were taking a long time on their turns, had a great time with it though. I love this game and it was so fun to get it back in play in person Four player game. A guy project is something I will never turn down. And I'm, I'm so glad Adam picked it. Really fun time. Yeah, Gaia Project is a game that I've got a long checkered history with. I, when we did our initial review of it back in like 2020, I did not love Gaia Project. And for a long time, I kind of stayed really sort of the, the, the lower end of lukewarm on it. And then it popped up on BGA and I started playing it more often. And I learned to appreciate it. I learned to enjoy it more. But I never got good at it. It was never a game that I could play successfully. And so it was always a little bit frustrating. And I will say that playing it live, this is the first time I'd ever played Gaia Project live. And playing it live and actually hearing us talk through all the rules and all the, like the things about the power conversion, that you get the power boost when somebody builds next to you. I don't think I ever really understood that. So all of a sudden, it's like this huge part of the game that I'd never understood before made perfect sense to me. And so all of a sudden, I feel like my game has improved by like a factor of 10. I don't know if it means I'm going to start winning games of Gaia Project or not. But at least now I feel like I get the rules in a way that I never did before. So uh, I, I didn't do particularly well in this game. But I did enjoy the gameplay. And I did enjoy learning it and getting a better understanding of the gameplay mechanisms. This this really is one where there's so many tiny little edge rules, you know, things happening and popping up all over the place that if you're not sitting there actually talking through them all, if you're doing it on BGA, you're bound to miss something. And so this is a great way to actually experience it for real. No, but this actually turned into a really cool finish too, because Adam and I are more experienced at the game and we both had a pretty good point lead for a, a large part of the game. And, you know, Adam was leading for a while and then I kind of you know, pulled up ahead, but I knew he had a better end game. And so it was tight at the end. It could have gone to either of us. And Chris managed to scrape in like three points behind. Like it was a pretty close game between the three of us at the end. And that was so cool to see Chris really jump up at the end and really 
like use that experience that he's gained from all of his losses over the last year to come back. <laughs> and, and Thunderpaw says, don't tease my losses. So it ended pretty close, even if you took a third, Chris. Proud of you. Well, in Gaia Project, <laughs> Adam was the winner. Of course, Tim came in second. I managed to get a respectable third. It wasn't an embarrassing third. And Steve, sadly, came in last. And that was the last official game, the last scored game of the night on day three. Yeah. What time do we finish up there? Was it like one o'clock in the morning at, at, with Gaia Project or a little bit earlier than that? It was about 1230. We we started okay. that morning at about 9 a.m. and we ended at about 1230 a.m. That's just four games, folks. That is uh, that is a good uh, what? 15 hours of gaming for four games moving a little slow again on day three we did though because it was everyone was having fun still getting a little sleepy not ready to jump into a big game but we did play another fun little light game and this time we pulled out the game skull now skull is a game i'd heard about for years but i've never played it before i picked it up recently and was excited to play it so well i I thought i was going to be excited to play i was excited when i bought it And then I watched a how to play video and I read the rules and I thought this game is dumb. There's no way this is going to be fun unless you're completely hammered. And we weren't. And I just didn't think this was going to be fun. What do you guys think of Skull? I am so glad you brought this game, Tim. I'd heard about it from many people. Sanchez over at uh, Dad's on a Map. How you doing, Sanchez? He's always talking about this one. He's got he carries around with him in his car, I guess. And in his his man purse his man satchel whatever he wants to call it i think he has it and busts it out whenever he's ready and we play i had an absolute blast playing this game you can play it with four or five sets of coasters at your local bar that's all you need chris i think scold me like eight times in a row i've kept going he can't possibly do it again <laughs> yep he did it again so it was just fun some hilarious moments in a quickly developing sort of meta game game within a game that develops out of this one well i'm i'm so glad you liked it adam because i also really loved it i had a great time i don't even know why this is fun i don't know why it works but somehow it, it did work it was so fun and it was hilarious that chris seemed to, he you know again it's late at night and he just seems grumpy he's like he didn't even seem like he wants to be there and so i teach the rules and he's kind of rolling his eyes at me and stuff and then we start going around the table and basically the what, what this is is you're basically everyone's got four like circle cardboard chips in front of them kind of coaster size and three of them have roses on it or flowers and one of them has a skull on it so all you're going to do in this game is everyone's going to either put a chip down or they are going to uh, after after at least everybody's put one of their coasters down then somebody can can basically call uh, a number that they're going to pick up and so they could the first person could call one or they could call two or whatever and then the next person could call a higher number so they could say three and what that means is that then you're going to go around the table and pick up that many coasters and if you get a skull you bust you've just lost you, you basically lost one of your coasters if you if you don't get a skull when you do that you win and you get a point out of it and you win this game total by getting two points so it's a really simple quick game so every time we're going around the table playing this thing, then Chris puts his first coaster down and then one of us calls it and we go around and pick up and, and Chris, oh, it's Chris has a skull. Every single freaking time Chris has a skull <laughs> and we must have done this like five times and Chris never once actually like called a number like he was going to go and pick up things, but he busted us everything like Chris couldn't actually win the game. Well, you can win the game if, if everybody else is out of coasters, I guess. So he could have won that way. But it didn't matter because Chris, all he cared about was making sure that we busted it seemed like every time. And we would go like three or four rounds and then hit Chris's skull. 
And then everybody would be like, you know what? I'm not going to pick from Chris again. So we'd wait two more rounds and then someone would pick up one of Chris's skull. There it is. It's a skull again every <laughs> single time. It was, it was so hilarious. I had such a blast playing this with you guys. Well, I was a little bit skeptical about this game. But what I learned was that Chief Thunderpaw loves skull. He thinks it's great. And so we, we definitely we kind of teamed up on that one and felt pretty good about it. Now, actually, this is not at all my kind of game, but I definitely saw the fun in it. It was just goofy, silly fun. And I actually picked up a copy of this because I've got a couple of family get togethers happening this summer. I'm like, yeah, this is the kind of thing you could bust out, especially after a few beers and have a, a really fun time with. So highly recommend it. Super easy. To learn. It's a five minute teach. It's a 10 minute game. And it's just some goofy fun. So really, really, really good time, even though I was a little skeptical at first. Yeah, it was funny because we went to a f- several restaurants over the weekend. I kept bringing it with me in the car, like, oh, we'll bust this out. And then I kept forgetting and leaving it in the car. So we never ended up playing it. So I'm so glad we did finally get it played because I think if it never got played the whole weekend, I'd probably been like, oh, this game's this game's never going to get played. I would probably would have sold yeah. it. But I think it'll be sticking around. This will be a fun like party yeah, for sure. Party-ish game to pull at any time. And that was the end of day three. We wrapped up around 1230 uh, and then headed off to bed. And I swear at this point, I felt like, you know, we were operating off of a couple of hours of sleep a night plus cookies and alcohol. I mean, that was kind of like, <laughs> I, I think it might have been the most unhealthy weekend I've had in my life. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> confident that I'm diabetic now. But the next day was the last day. I mean, that's huge. This is a big intense weekend of gaming and we'd had so many fluctuations back and forth on who was winning that at this point it was like I could who even knows I mean there was so many different variations on who was in the lead that you know we went into this last day with I don't know there was a vengeance there everybody was like ready to like fight hard for those last couple of points to try to bring home the win and that morning we got started about 9 a.m because goodness knows we, we can't sleep in, even though you get to bed at like, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning. It's like you got to get up for that next game because you got to get those points. And so we were up around nine with our first game and it was the ever popular Rising Sun. I was going to say appropriately named Rising Sun, but the sun had risen like three hours ago. So, <laughs> right. so we got this one out and what a blast, what a beauty of a game, what a design of a game by Eric Lang again. I'm always thrilled to play anything by Eric Lang at this point because they're all incredibly clever and they make my brain run circles around itself. He always has some aspect of the combat that's sequential or timing matters of the combat. So earlier phases, earlier stages of the combat will have an effect on later stages of the combat. And I love how he puts that together. And I had such a blast playing this one. It came down to the very end, that very last battle sequence, and I was trying to math it all out. You want to have characters in each region, in each battle, so that even if you lose, you're going to be able to collect some money or get some points. So I was trying to strategize, all right, I'll have it in the one, three, five, seven battle, and then I'm going to get this kind of money, and then I'll be ready for the final battle, get a couple more points out. I don't know. I thought I played it decently well, ended up not quite calculating out the the points correct, but I made a good showing of it. I had a great time playing Rising Sun here. My second play ever after my one play in Long Beach, the previous convention. 
this game clicked. It came together for me. I absolutely love Rising Sun. Yeah, this was fantastic. So this is my fourth play of Rising Sun. And on my third one is when I really feel like it clicked for me. And I, I remember that play. I taught it to some local friends. I got the rules all right. We just jumped in and it just it just felt like it flowed. And this one was the same. It was just I gave a quick reteach on it and we all jumped in and it just flowed really great. The one minor downside I had at this on the last round, I think because everybody knew how to play it, three of us basically were fighting to get to finish our like fifth color in the set. There's a set scoring at the end of the game. So three of us were competitive in scoring and three of us had like four of five tokens. And so it ended up in this in the third round, this kind of like really painful negotiation about okay, well, if you do this, then maybe I can do this. But you know that both those people are going to end up even. So the one person who's two points ahead is going to win it. And it ended up being where I just managed to pull out a win just because the combination of negotiations just worked in my favor in some way. Like I managed to get one of the two chips that were out there that I needed and the other two people didn't get the two chips they needed. And so I managed to pull out a win, but it was so close. It was so barely. And I didn't love that last round of negotiation, but I loved everything up to it. I think it was kind of a unique play in this case. And I think Adam was like honing his negotiation skills and really pulling it to the table here, which he loves to do. Not honing his negotiation skills. Sorry, that's the wrong term. He was leveraging his negotiation talent and uh, and and pushing people <laughs> around a little bit. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, beyond that, I thought the game was a lot of fun. Um, Chris, how did you... Rising Sun has kind of been the we- the weakest for you of our group. How did you feel about this play of it? Yeah, my feelings about it are exactly the same as they've been every time we've played this game. I want to like this game so much more than I actually do, because some of the things about this game, some of the design elements are absolutely amazing. The combat where you bid on the different activities, that's incredible. The production on this game is absolutely amazing. Eric Lang is an absolute genius. He may be one of the most genius designers in all of board games. But there's just stuff about this game that I don't enjoy. And again, before the haters, you know, hear that and say, oh, how can you how can you dislike Rising Sun? It's just it's it's a personal taste thing. I really dislike the um, the allies. I really dislike that aspect of it. I really dislike negotiation at the end, which I wasn't a part of because I wasn't even a factor in the game at that point. <laughs> Did you even have any points at the end of the game? <laughs> I hated that. I just like I was sitting there going, God, will this game just end? Uh, and no, no, the answer to that is I did not have any points. I think I gained a few points in endgame scoring. And I felt like the whole time I was just kind of flailing around, you know, putting people in a spot and then somebody would drop more people in the spot. And then somebody else comes in. I moved to another spot. Somebody drops a bunch of people in that spot. And it just it it wasn't a fun experience to me. Again, the game itself is a brilliant design in a lot of ways. It's just not something that I I can really find myself enjoying. It's interesting because what you guys see as negotiation, I just see as a chance to talk through the situation. We're like, and I think Steve and I absolutely love this game because we're just like, well, here's kind of how we both see the situation and we just kind of talk through it. And like, well, he's going to do this, so we should do this. And yep, okay, well, yes, that makes sense logically. Like, that's the smartest thing to do. So I don't really see it as negotiation as much as talking through the situation and having like a temporary buddy to talk through the situation with. And I, I do really enjoy that. Thunderpaw cares not for your talking. (laughs) What I think Adam though, that you're saying talking through the situation, what you're doing during that whole thing is you're kind of like hinting at, well, if you go do this, then you'll get this extra advantage, but you're doing it 
for your advantage as well. And I think that is something that I am not good at and I don't enjoy doing either. And so I did it and I, you know, and I worked out for me. I ended up winning the game, but I like, I almost would have preferred that we were just quiet about it and then just figured it out in our own heads and then just, you know, did it. And that's just, that's kind of just like Chris's. That's the way I'd rather play a board game because to me, playing a, a strategy competitive board game is about like, hey, I'm going to figure out my strategy. I'm going to go play it. And that's okay. That's not what this game is. And most games with area control aren't. And there's different varying levels of it. And this one in the last round, because it was so tight, because it was really coming down to three of us needed to win two more tiles in order to be competitive and make it to that final couple points. Um, so it, it got particularly tight there. And I, I hope that this game doesn't do that most of the time. Like I, I hadn't seen that before, but I hope it doesn't come down to like three people within a couple points and they, they all have to get that one last tile because that did slow the game down at the end. It made it feel like it just came down to one battle at the end. Like something like Blood Rage always feel like there's a big surprise in points at the end. In this game, we had it calculated out mm. basically. Like we knew who could win and who was going to win in almost every situation depending on how a battle went at the, at the end of the game. And so that was a little less fun and a little less exciting to me than the end game of like Blood Rage is. But I haven't seen that before. So this might have been a fluke. And, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to see if it happens again because I, I like the whole rest of the process up to that. Yeah, and, and the Blood Rage counterpoint that you just made, Tim, I think is a really good one. I've played that game dozens of times. I love that game. That to me is the clear winner of the Eric Lang trilogy. And never once in my history of playing that game have I ever felt compelled or has anybody I've ever been playing with felt compelled to talk through the options <laughs> about what one might do? Just go attack some fools and then move on. That's how an area <laughs> control game ought to be. So you probably gathered some of the scoring on this one already. Tim, Tim was first. Adam came in second. Uh, Steve was third. And I almost scored points prior to end game scoring, but came in a, a dead last. So not not the high point of the weekend for for me at least although i think everybody else had a really good time it was i was glad you guys were enjoying it but it did lead into a slightly less ally and negotiation heavy game distilled this is another one that you guys that the three of you had reviewed i believe on an episode and you introduced it to me here in sedona and i actually had a blast playing this one too we're talking about i don't know if this is a, a midweight Euro Tim, but it had that extra bit of theme to it. And I don't even know if I understand completely the sugar alcohol thing going on here, but you guys would talk me through that every time. I'm like, well, I have an alcohol, I have a sugar here. So that turns into alcohol. I guess it makes, <laughs> I guess it's science. If you do some drink science on it, then you get an alcohol. Car I don't know. Anyway, this one was pretty fun. You get to upgrade your distillery as you go along. A little bit of engine building. It's like a deck building each round. You get to build your own little pot of uh, of brew that you're trying to make. And so I, I thought that was pretty fun. Buying those recipes and trying to make that happen. You got little goals. So a whole blend <laughs> of a bunch of different mechanisms here. But I thought that worked really well together. For some reason, this one didn't bug me as much as some of the other midweight euros we've been talking about, uh, Yokohama and Teotihuacan from the uh, from the first half of the convention. I had a lot of fun playing distilled. 
Yeah, Distilled is a fun game. I wouldn't even, I don't know if I'd call it a mid, a Euro. I mean, I guess it kind of is. It has resource management and, and engine building to some extent. It doesn't feel like a classic Euro in any way. And part of it is that there is a push your luck piece of it. And Wonderland's War has that going yeah. on. And this, the, the push your luck really came back to hit me in one round in this game. And it was one of my favorite moments of the game, even though it hit me bad. I was working towards one of these central goals that required like five fruit in my thing. So I had built up over a couple rounds to make this like extra heavy brew of like five sugars or five fruit sugars I could put in there. And then plus a whole, I had a ton of alcohol in there. I had water. I had so many things that I should have drawn. And the way this game works, if you listen to our review, you will know this, but basically you, you've got this hand of cards and you're trying to, to make a great distilled liquor in a round. And so you have to pull the, the, the front card off and the back card off. And then whatever is left in there makes your liquor. And so it may not make the recipe you want because if you pull the wrong ingredient off, then it's going to fail. But you'll, you'll end up making something with it. And in this case, I really built up and I protect myself. I, I think I added like six uh, fruit sugars in there, which was very hard to get to. I added a bunch of extra ingredients. And one of the fruit sugars was my special recipe ingredient. So if it fell off, I could have gotten it back. And I somehow managed to pull. The only way that this would have failed was I pulled the two fruit sugars off out of like 20 cards that I could not lose. And I bombed on that one and it was fine. I was set up. I was going to be able to make it the next round instead, but it cost me that goal, which Chris ended up stealing from me that round. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is the game was fun. I was on a second play. If you listen to our review, you knew I was super enthusiastic about it and I remain enthusiastic about it. This game is a blast. It was fun engine building, a different engine I got to build this time, different goals we were going towards, different recipe sets we played with this time. And it was it was a ton of fun. I, I loved it. Loved fun playing with in person. Super fun production here. Great game. Chris, I'm so glad you brought it out. Yeah, a few plays in and I'm enjoying this game as much as when I first got it. This is one of those Kickstarter games that was just head and shoulders above what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, such a fun game. And I love the thematic feel of it, even for a simple game. I love the the heads and the tails of the of the alcohol. I love the little characters. I love the the improvements that you can make to your distillery. I love the push your luck aspect to this. I think that's one of the things that I'm learning between games like this and Wonderland's War that I think push your luck is something that I just have a lot of fun with. On BGA, I've been playing tons of Can't Stop recently and having such a fun time with it. I think I'm really developing a love for, for that kind of a mechanism. One thing we haven't talked about, and it's just a little touch and it's not that big of a deal, but it adds so much fun is the little flavor profile cards that you can draw along with these drinks mm. those were some of the funnest things to read them they're so well written and they have this little sassiness to them this little zest that adds to the game i don't want to try to recall i'm not going to do them justice but they just add some little flavor profile to your drink it could be a knock it out of the park sort of chocolatey flavor and it has a little caption that's written with it that makes it sound delicious and smooth and silky or it could be some other flavor like old leather boots or something like that. And it has a little quippy caption that'll go with that. And that added so much joy to the table when somebody get one of these and read them out. They're all fantastic. So that was just a nice little touch. Yeah, the sense of humor in this game is an unexpected bonus. Like Adam said, there's the flavor flavor text. Ha 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 ha. The flavor <laughs> text on the uh, those cards. But there was also one of my favorite cards in the game. Bottles are one of the big 
point getting mechanisms in this because you have to sell your liquor in a bottle and depending on the bottle you have you might get more points or if you save up sets of bottles of certain types you might get big points and one of them is the designer bottle and it's a bottle in the shape of game designer dave beck's head (laughs) that's just pretty doggone funny between that and the flavor text I just it's it's delightful. There was another one that was like a a vodka bottle. I had mentioned earlier Dan Aykroyd used to make his own bottle of vodka or whatever booze it was, and it was in the shape of a skull or something like that. And then there was that bottle that came out later on, and it made some reference to Ghostbusters. I think oh, it was yeah. so that was just fantastic uh, tie in there. Yeah, that that is fun. Well, that game I pulled myself out of the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> with distilled <laughs> after a bunch of really depressing losses and got first place. Tim came in second, probably would have gotten first if he had snatched that goal up away from me before I got it, but uh, ended up with a second. Adam came in third and Steve was fourth. I want to mention that that, that goal, that, that game had me the whole rest of the weekend thinking about it. Like, guys, what had happened? What if I had just hit this one thing? I mean, like it just kept coming back to me and I don't, I didn't care that I lost, like it wasn't important, but it was just the game stuck with me. It made me feel like, you know, this one moment really had a, a big impact and it was, it was fun. It was a fun moment that I wasn't even upset by, but it had me kept going back to it. It, it kept bringing me back and saying like, man, I could have pulled this off if I'd just done this one thing differently. Mm-hmm. So fun, fun when a game just makes you come back to it and think about it some more. So here we are heading into Sunday evening and we were kind of running down the clock now. So we settled into our, well, I, I won't get into the kind of the end game here, but uh, what we knew was going to be one of the last, if not the last games of the weekend. And that was Dune Imperium with both expansions, the Immortality expansion and the Rise of X expansion, the expansion. Nice. So Chris had some momentum moving into Dune Imperium with all the expansions, which I think is my preferred way to play it at the moment. And I had a blast playing this one too. We were, I don't know, this game is one, we talked about it on uh, on Twitter recently. I enjoy this game every time, no matter what. There's so much to do. Each round builds towards that climactic battle which is sort of an an auction mechanism throughout that round you're putting troops in how much you're going to go for that the battle points the conflict points and then it has these intrigue cards too oh tim's got three intrigue cards over there how much of those are going to be battle is he going to use them now is he going to save them for later i absolutely love dune imperium can't get enough of it it's another fun play here and a very competitive one yeah very competitive it was a very tight race right up until the end and a surprise winner on it. I, uh, but I want to talk about immortality a little bit more because when we reviewed this, I said I enjoyed the expansion. I didn't think it was quite as ex- important as Rise of X. And I said that in our Golden Geek uh, Awards discussion as well. The tracks on immortality still don't feel like they do anything super important. But this game, compared to our first one, had a huge impact with those. Um, the specimen cards are the specimens you spend for whatever the, the exlacking card, cards. What what's the name of that? What are the name of the cards? Oh uh, gosh, that's a stumper. Yeah, Talalax. Okay. Or anyway, to, yeah, whatever. So the the new cards you can buy by spending these specimen tokens that you get, 
they had a huge impact on this game. And my favorite part of them that we didn't see in the first game very much was a lot of grafting cards. And the grafting is where you basically will have a card in your hand that you can just kind of, when you play another card, you just graft it on and you get the benefits from both. And we saw a lot of fun, big, huge turns when somebody would go to a a great worker placement spot and then play a card with another card grafted onto it and just get all the benefits from it. Loved it this time. I thought that those those extra cards added a lot to the game. We also played, we played the epic version of this yeah, as well, that's right. which yep. plays till 12 points instead of 10. And also you start, everybody starts with a card in their deck that has a default scrapping mechanism. And that was also pretty, I think a great way to play in a, a way that I'd always play with people that know the game and we have the time to do it because it means you're starting to slim out your deck and kind of refine it quicker instead of in many games, if you don't pick up one of the, you know, one of the couple scrapping cards, you can just end up with a really clunky deck the whole game. And so this one, it felt like everybody by the end was running a pretty slick engine, making some really fun, fun turns and fun decisions. So I, I love immortality for that. Still think that Rise of X is the more important of the two expansions, but I, I love playing with everything in here. This was great. The last thing I'll say about it is that four player still remains my second favorite way to play. I think th- I think this game shines at three player and four player gets a little chaotic. It gets a little bit. There's just a little bit too much unknown when you're going to some of these big strategic decisions. So it, it never feels like I have quite as much control over the game as I want. At three player, I always feel like I have a little better sense for what can happen or what will happen. And so um, this game, I felt like coming into the end of it, like it was an exciting end, but the loss was a little bit outside of my control in any meaningful way. Maybe that was just my long, tired days of gaming and, and a little bit of bitterness from taking a third place on this. But I, I still enjoyed it and loved the uh, the Immortality expansion even more. This game was kind of a revelation for me because I really made a conscious effort this game to dig into a particular strategy. And the strategy that I really dug into, partially because it's the one that lent itself based on the cards that were available at the time, was to really lean into that Immortality expansion and both the tracks and the new cards. Taking a a higher level view of it, I still think that Ix is the mandatory expansion. It's the one you got to have. And Immortality is not as much. But having dug into the Immortality expansion this time in a way that I hadn't the last time, I think I definitely saw the fun in it. And I saw how you could use it to make some pretty cool strategies. A lot of that had to do with what Tim mentioned, which was using those grafting cards and the other cards that were available through that expansion. The tracks, the tracks were, was okay. The track was okay. I and mean, there was not a whole lot that came out of that, but these other cards, I forget the specific cards that I got, but essentially it gave me an opportunity. One card gave me something when I played it at end of round, when I, when I revealed it. And then whatever that reveal benefit was, Another card allowed me to be able to use that to raise up one or two tracks on the factions. And so I had this engine going and they were all new cards that that were doing this. And so that was kind of exciting and it was kind of fun. I really enjoyed this game and I also really enjoyed playing it in the epic mode because one of the things that I've always thought was a little bit of a bummer for me playing in the normal mode for this game one is it's the weak deck. So having something in there that lets you scrap early on, early and often, I think is wonderful. I lo- There's nothing I enjoy more than scrapping in a deck building game. And the other is having a little bit more time to build your engine and to take advantage of it. I always feel like when we play the standard game, I blink 
I've finally got something together that I'm interested, you know, that I've got you working for me and somebody's already at 10 points and I'm at like one or two. I mean, I, I guess, you know, if I, <laughs> I really wanted to, I could fight back about against that and push harder earlier on in the game. But there's something about that mecha, that strategy that just doesn't resonate with me. And so having this longer version, I thought was great. Of course, it makes for a longer game, too. But I thought it was well worth it. And before Chris talks about the scores, I have to mention that when we started this game and I busted, I was like, I always love this game. I always lose at it. And he was telling stories of people he introduced the game to and that he always loses. Chris was just telling us how this was, there was no way he was going to walk away with the win on this one. So Chris, how did the scoring end up here? I ended up with a first place finish. Adam was number two. Tim was third. And Steve came in fourth. And I wasn't lying about the losses. I mean, I've lost this at this game so many times, including with people who have never played the game before. It's amazing how good I am at losing at this game. I don't know what happened. Something clicked. But but this this was my first win ever at this game, I believe. Yeah. Congrats, Chris. Well done. And I, I, it was a we mentioned a tight finish, but it was kind of like me and Adam were both pushing right about 10 points as we're getting into the second to last round. And Chris was a point or two behind us. So it seemed like he was you know, in striking distance, but he, he didn't feel like he was going to pull this one off. Steve was sitting back a little bit further. So I don't think he was really in the running at that point. Well, he had the two dreadnoughts and he was doing the double dreadnought thing. So yeah. one more round and yep. he would have blown that a couple up more too. big points. Yeah. He could have pulled off at the end there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris somehow shot ahead. He ended up winning a final big battle for two points as well as getting one or two more points somewhere else hits the 12 point marker. And I was right on Adam's tail. I mean, I, I know I took a third on this one, but we either came in tiebreakers or it was like, I was one point down. I had a uh, spice must flow enough for a spice must flow that last round. So I was able to That's right. get that extra point there. But one more point out yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, super, super fun. It didn't feel like it went too long either. Maybe because we all knew it. Maybe, it, maybe it did go long. I don't know. Our games all went pretty long, but feel like it was like two and a half hours and we were done with it, which isn't bad for us. My final pick of the weekend, and we weren't sure if this was going to be the final scoring game or not, was Imperium the Contention. This is one we talked about. I played it a little bit with Sarah and only had two players before and I'd run through it, the, uh, the solo campaign as well, and I'd had fun with that. And I'd heard good things from other reviewers, so I was looking forward to introducing this one to the rest of our group. And I have to apologize. I was a little shaky on the rules teach, which I shouldn't have been. The rules are pretty easy. It's make some money, do a hammer action, and then start playing cards is basically how it goes. So if you don't know, each faction here is just a deck of cards, a deck of maybe 30 cards or so. And you draw a hand, you get some money to start off with, and then you start playing cards and you have to pay for them to be able to play them for the most part. And that starts you on your home world and you're kind of expanding out a light 4X card game. So, you know, as Eclipse, you have these ships and these big old tiles you're flipping over and a lot of production here. Here, it's all cards. The ships are cards and the little attachments you can do to ships are cards. And maybe you can add a commander to your ship, which gives you some benefit. Or you can add this little component that makes your weapon stronger or makes the rest of your fleet stronger. So each faction has its thing. Chris was kind of the insect swarmy faction. I was the, I think the robot guys that were just mechanical and did this and did that. Steve was the humans that had a, an amazing commander and some pretty strong ships. And then Tim, I'm not sure what you guys were. If you Neither were am I. Plants I'm not or, sure I ever figured yeah, out what I yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> and this game 
was a huge disappointment for me. The art was fantastic. The that's about it. That was fantastic. The gameplay just fell extraordinarily flat. It it didn't do much for me. I felt like if you were the first player, you had to kind of retreat and defend. And if you're the last player, you're the last one to move your ship. So you could kind of take advantage of what everybody else had done that round. And you had the last say on where you get to attack the combat wasn't too exciting. It's just determinative. So you say, Oh, this guy has a a five attack and a three defense. So he's going to take out this ship. And now this ship's gone. This game after being so excited about it and having it here for so long and talking about it and wanting to get it played, it was just a huge disappointment for me. And it's out of print now, so it's moving to my sell pile and hopefully I can get some money for it and find somebody that enjoys it. Imperium the Contention has some of the coolest artwork, sci-fi artwork on a game that I've seen. It really does. It's And this is not, you know, listen, it's not me talking about how great the Imperium is. <laughs> it's a great place. It's a great vacation spot. It's it's really really wonderful artwork. And regardless of what else I say at this point, it is. It was just fun to be looking at the, this card art, the cards, the the planets you were discovering. Just really really incredible. And I can't say that enough. It, amazing production. But the gameplay was unfortunately it, it dragged. But I think this is very similar to playing multiplayer Magic: The Gathering and. The designer of the game has said that he was inspired by Magic the Gathering, but also liked 4X games, and that's kind of why he created this. Now, Adam said he played this two-player in the past. Magic the Gathering is a wonderful two-player head-to-head dueler game. It's a terrible four-player, like, everybody battle in the same place game. And that's exactly what happened. It was the same type of thing happened here. And that, you know, like, I would be starting to build up a little bit, doing something, and then, oh, if I accidentally step into Steve's territory, well, now he's going to come and attack me and I'm going to be completely out of the game if I can't build up stuff. But wait, Chris is over on my border here, too. So I'm going to attack one of his things. Oh, he's pissed at me now. So now he's going to attack me. And so the game was just a lot of back and forth push and pull. And I mean, I maybe it would have been more fun at two player. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I think it probably would have. But at the same time, you know, there's a, there's an element of just like taking turns to move ships one or two spaces and then do that determinative combat. I'm not sure that there's a lot of fun to be had here. The, 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 the turns were played after you kind of did that upkeep where everyone's playing one card at a time. And so you play it face down and everyone even has like a, like a hidden card, kind of a, a, a fake card in there, a bluff card in their hand um, so that everyone's playing a card and you don't know what they're going to do. But I didn't find the bluff made exciting things happen very often. Most of the time, okay, either you're putting a ship out or you're doing some special action. And every once in a while, that that surprise would be like, oh, you blew up this ship before it was going to move or before it was going to do something. But most of the time, it just didn't pay off as much as it, the promise was there. Uh, Chris's faction, I absolutely hated. It was a swarming one where it just built up tons and tons of tons of sh- tiny ships. And they were just so annoying. Like it was just, yeah. I could go in there, spend a whole time attacking something. I blow up one tiny little ship and it had no impact on anything that happened at all. Adam and I both, I could tell. So Steve and Chris weren't acting this way in the middle of it, but Adam and I were both just like, guys, can we just call it? Can we just like end this game? And, and, and Steve wanted to finish out and, you know, luckily it, it finished not too much longer after that, but there aren't too many games where I'll just be like, I'm not really having a lot of fun here. And I don't, it doesn't seem like anyone else is having a lot of fun. We should just end it. So we don't have to waste any more time with it. So 
Chris, what did you think of it? I honestly, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Tim. Um, for one, let me start on the high point. You weren't kidding when you said that the art in this thing is phenomenal. I mean, hands down, and I'm huge on art. I love sci-fi art. I love sci-fi art in games. I love good production. And the art in this game is a number one phenomenal. Absolutely killer. I loved looking at the cards in this game. But all the complaints that you had about the gameplay, I completely agree. It was a small board, so you're constantly interacting with everybody else. I mean, I'm going to compare it to Eclipse because that's the sort of gold standard in 4X games, in my opinion. And in four, in, in in Eclipse, it feels like you're expanding out in an orderly way, and there's a frontier where things are punctuated by these exciting combats in the battles. And that makes for a really exciting game. And it doesn't you know, hurt that you also have big dice that are getting thrown and you know, various types of ships and things like that. But in this game, it's just constant. You're just constantly attacking and being attacked. And like you said, Tim, lots of push and pull. I mean, I you know, go into Adam's territory, but then as soon as I put my forces in Adam's direction, you're you know biting me in the tail from the other side and then Steve's attacking you and it's like this this constant like I'm going to kill a couple of your guys somebody else is going to kill a couple of their guys somebody else is killing somebody else and so it never really felt like anybody was gaining a ton of ground or you gain a ton of ground but at the same time somebody else is coming up behind you and taking a bunch of your ground away from you and it just it was unsatisfying and I think we finally did come to an end on this one with uh with a victor which which was Steve uh, but it was, you know, it was an unsatisfying one. I, I think that it was a an unfortunate situation that we ended up with. This is our last game because we had talked ahead of time and said, "Hey, so what are we going to do? This is is this going to be the last game of the of the weekend? You know, is this going to be the last scored game?" And we said, "Yeah, well, this is going to be it." But then by the end of it, there was no clear way to, other than the winner have the second, third, and fourth place. So we had talked a little bit about different ways that you might score this. And there was some ways that were logical, maybe some others that were less so. But ultimately, what we ended up doing was just, you know, dumping this one for scoring and, you know, having Dune be the last game of the weekend. Yeah, and it was it was not, that wasn't the only reason. I mean, it was part of that we, you know, as Adam mentioned, he was a little rusty on the rules. So we got into yeah. play and we're kind of like searching through the rule book. And so it felt like, no, nobody really started off the game with a good understanding of what the goal was and what we were doing. But I think also we were just like so bored and annoyed by it by the end, or at least I was, that it didn't feel appropriate to to kind of include it into our pantheon of, of games scored for the weekend, which maybe was not fair to Steve, who finally got a win in. Well, we now we did play the next morning. We were all going to leave, uh, head back out. We did get a couple plays of Star Wars, the deck building game in two player. Uh, as uh, we were all kind of packing up, Chris and I played a quick game of it so he could introduce me to it. And uh, and then Steve and Chris played a game of it. And by the way, this was our other prize game that we were giving away for the weekend. And uh, Chris will share with you what the final results for the weekend were and, and who took home what prizes. But I did want to mention really quickly, it was exciting to get to play this because I heard your guys review on it. That was the one episode of this show that I have not, was not on. And so the highest rated episode, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And so it was fun to play it again. Um, I think what it does for the straight deck building genre, like a Star Realms, Star Realms type of, of game, I think it adds just enough flair to 
to make it interesting and, and add a little bit more to it. But I'm not sure that it really breaks outside of that mold too much. Um, you know, I only played one game of it and I had fun with it, but it did still feel like get attacky stuff. You attack the bases, you knock them out and all the, the, the promise of playing with the force and playing with the cards in the middle. And, and that just didn't, because the game is so short and so, you know, straightforward, it didn't feel like there was a lot of game to be had there. Um, but I, you know, more plays may, may tell me otherwise. I did like the base mechanism where everyone has a starting base, you know, the two sides have a starting base. And then once your first base gets knocked out, you can go and pick what your next base is going to be. And that might synergize with the deck, with the cards you've started to build into your deck so far. Um, so I'm definitely excited to play this more. I'm probably going to buy this one. Um, my wife likes Star Realms. We don't play it a whole lot in person, but she enjoys it. And so I think this would be my preferred version. And if I bring this into the house, I'll probably move Star Realms on because that doesn't really get played physically anymore very much. But I thought this was fun and it was fun interacting with the Star Wars characters and the Star Wars IP and the Star Wars world. Uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It, it. I wouldn't say it knocked my socks off, but um, it definitely uh, it definitely brought some fun for me. Uh, it's funny. I would have thought. Tim, you being the big Star Wars fan that you are, that you would have had a more, uh, more, more to say about it, more positive to say about it. I think I'm going to be the outlier here and say that I think this may very well be the game that perfects deck builders. I absolutely love this as a deck building game, and I love deck building games generally. But I think one of the things where they're at their weakest is in terms of theme. It's often, you know, kind of pasted on, which is why you've got Hero Realms, Cthulhu Realms, Star Realms, and it's basically all doing the same thing, except you've got, you know, different art on the cards and, you know, insanity instead of damage, whatever. And so I thought that this cracked that code, this game, because it really did work in the theme, in particular by making it so that you can only own cards of your faction. So when I'm playing Star Realms, why does it make any sense that I'm, you know, heavy on the Imperial faction, but I've also got the green alien guys in my hand? That didn't make any sense. But in this game, I can only get the characters that belong to me. I can't be the Empire and recruit Han Solo because that would be horrible. That would make any sense. That would make you anti-thematic and it would be unfun. But they have the mechanism where you can collect the cards and purchase the cards that belong to your faction. And if you're the opposing faction, then you can bounty hunt them and get some benefit from using attack to take out those cards. I thought that was so cool. It really did give that thematic jolt that deck building games so badly needed. And it did it with a fun IP. And the part you mentioned about the bases, you know, you, your one base gets taken out. Where are you going to relocate to? Well, depending on where you go, you're going to get this benefit or that benefit. There's just so much fun in this game. It, it's a great way to play deck building. Yeah, Adam, I, I you didn't play that morning again. But I mean, just from, you know, thinking through it, do you, how do you feel about it after the play we had? Yeah, Chris, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I love this game, what it does thematically. And uh, what it does with the little force track there, just another little extra spice that you can play around with. I adore this game. So that got us to the end of the weekend and we piled in the car, drove back to the airport with Adam crowned as the spring 2023 BGH TCON Sedona champion. And here with the final standings in first place was Adam. In second, 
was Tim. A close third was me. And then Steve, who won the last two, came in last. I would feel bad for Steve, except he did win the last two, so it's hard to feel too bad. So I have some closing thoughts. I'm sure you guys do too. Mostly about my competitiveness during this weekend. I felt like the uh, I felt like I went too competitive. It took away from a lot of the things I enjoy about board games. Well, Imperium the Contention, for example, I was a little shaky on the rules. I was hesitant to bring it out because I wasn't sure. I felt like it had to be super polished if I was going to bring a game out and introduce it to you guys for the rules. Battle for Rokugan, same way. I was hesitant to bring that game out. I'm sure after getting it set up and once that had gone on, the gameplay is really simple after that. But I was hesitant to bring out any of these games that I wasn't super polished on the rules. I was taking a lot of time on my turns. I wanted, I was really gunning for it. So I, I don't know. There's pluses and minuses. I felt like I went a little too competitive. I was trying hard. I was trying way too hard. I didn't get the interaction. I know I spent time looking down at the game versus BSing with you guys and talking about your guys' lives. I didn't get to hear much about how Steve was doing or how Tim was doing or Chris, what's going on up in Portland. We got a little bit of that on that hike. That was one of my funnest parts of the weekend, but I felt like a lot of that I missed. I love playing games with you guys, and uh, that was a blast. But for me, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to bring back the competitiveness. I think I'd feel a little bit better uh, next time we do one of these conventions. Yeah, I. it was interesting because obviously last year, Steve and Chris were basically tied for first, and Adam wasn't too far behind, but I didn't win a single game last year. And this time I was a little more cautious, you know, paid a little bit more attention, but still just try to have fun with it. And I think I'm glad I did. And and the games did go longer probably than they needed to because we were all being a bit competitive, but I had, I still had fun. Um, glad to have that second place and not, not have zero wins for the whole weekend. So at least I, you know, it's, it's, you know, that was a second place was a, was a brilliant setup for me because in fact, the last three cons i think i've i've taken last or you know second to last and all of them so i had a, I had a fun time still um but i would love to see us get more games in when we're going to do one of these long things i'd like to see us you know all try to you know play play a little faster and and get through the games and just have fun with it whatever though i had a i had a blast i'm so glad that we have been doing this every you know twice a year and uh can't wait to do the next one Yep. Well, I mean, needless to say, had an absolute blast. I do want to second some of what Adam said. I, I definitely felt like I got caught up in the competitiveness of it a little bit more than than I would have ideally liked to. I'm interested to see you know, what we can do, if there are changes that we can make for the next con that help us find ways to get in those new games, maybe the ones that are the edge cases where I don't know the game that well, but I really wanted to try it. And we're not so much strategizing about how do I make sure that I get in the game that that's going to get me the points and that we can find a way to get a, a better balance between the competitiveness and the trying new games and having new experiences and just, you know, enjoying hanging out and having the, the company of good friends. I, I, I'm curious to see what we can do uh, in the future to kind of diversify there a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think part of these cons, too, is like, hey, guys, I got this new game. Kind of work through it with me a little bit. Let's check it out. None of us have played this before. Let's just jump in and see what happens with no regard for trying out this mega strategy or this or that. 
it was weird. It was just a different atmosphere than I'd gotten to the last few cons with. Thunderpaw says, only winning matters. <laughs> Enough with your foolish games. Well, that'll wrap up our conversation on SedonaCon. Another wonderful year. We'll be back with our normal format of a hot take review next week. Until next week, take care, everybody. Thunderpaw says, good night all. Bye-bye. <laughs>